What is up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Bullpen Talk. We got season two, episode two coming up. We just got out to spring training, and we're about to get rolling on these spring training podcasts. Um, our first guest for our spring training podcast is going to be Nick Kennedy, and that's who we have in today. Nick and I have become really good friends along our time in, in professional baseball. We got drafted at the same time and pretty much come together, uh, come up through the minor leagues, team to team together. So we've gotten to know each other very well. Nick's got a really good story. He's got a really cool family dynamic of his dad that is a strength coach in both college and the NFL. And he gives basically his background with that. He's got two other brothers that played college baseball, one currently playing, and they all went to the University of Texas. Nick got drafted in the fifth round and has been making the trek up through the minor leagues. And we're excited to tell you his story. All right, everybody, we are here live with Nick Kennedy. Nick, how's it going, man? It's going great, Nate. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so Nick and I are really, really good friends. We've been meaning to do a podcast like this for quite some time. Um, I just asked Nick to be the best man at my wedding to give you guys some background on uh, how close we are. And we played with each other for, what, four years now and gotten pretty close along the way. Fired up, man. We're counting down the days. How many have we got at this point? I know you got a countdown on your phone. Anna's got the countdown on her phone. Oh, I think, don't I think let him lie to you. I think we're in the 200s. He's got like the countdown. It's probably on the background on the, on the screen <laughs> of his phone right now. He just doesn't want to let you guys know that. All right, Nick. So go ahead and tell us where you're from, how old you are, where you grew up, and uh, kind of like what your upbringing was throughout high school. Yeah. So the where I'm from question is kind of a that's there's a long answer. It's to up that in one. the air. It's we don't we don't know the answer to that one yet. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I so. I was drafted by the Rockies in 2017, same year Nate was, out of the University of Texas. I was there for two years in 2016 and 2017. Um, before that, I graduated high school in Tampa, Florida, where my parent, where our family moved when I was a senior in high school. Um, and before that, I was going to high school in College Station, Texas. Um, before that, I lived in Nebraska, Pittsburgh, um, and Columbus, Ohio. So super all over the place. And that, that's where the joke comes from of not knowing where you're from. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's hard to say. So let's go ahead and get right into this. Let's tell the people why that is. Why did you bounce around a lot as a kid? Um, just kind of growing up. So my dad is a strength and conditioning coach and he's been with a college football team, mostly college football teams. He got one NFL job, he was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was when we moved to Tampa my senior year. Um, but yeah, football coaching, you kind of bounce around quite a bit. So we were moving around because of that. So give us the order of, I mean, I know your dad's been coaching for a long time, but give us the order of where he was kind of in your upbringing. So he started at the University of Nebraska. Nebraska. He went to school there and was a graduate assistant there. Then he got the job as the strength and conditioning coach at Ohio State. Um, and that's where I was born and my two brothers we were all born in Ohio. Um, after that, he took the job at the University of Pittsburgh. From there, he went to Nebraska, back to Nebraska, where he was from. Um, and then he went to Texas A&M and then from there to the Buccaneers. That's crazy. So not just not just any college in the nation. I mean, he's hitting big power five D1s. Yeah, he's been in a lot of cool spots, which has been a lot of fun. We were actually – Ohio State was the one that had the most success. Um, their football team was really good at the time, but we were too young to really understand what was mm -hmm. going on. They had a lot of great players. 
Um, but there's been, you know, a lot of great players that we've been able to grow up and watch, which has been really cool. Go ahead and name drop. What are, what are some of the, uh, you want some name drops? Yeah. Name drop. Go ahead and tell us some great guys that you've been around. Um, the first one that comes to mind is Larry Fitzgerald. He was, yeah, he was at Pitt. Not many people know that he went to Pitt actually. That's a good trivia question. He was at Pitt when my dad was there and I was in elementary school at the time and Larry and the quarterback, he may have been the backup quarterback at the time. I don't remember his name was Tyler Palco, but they would come babysit my brothers and I, I guess when my mom and dad would go out. So we, we had an actual relationship with Larry and he was obviously a big deal. He was second in Heisman voting behind, I think Jason white. Um, And then he's obviously gone on and had a hall of fame career in the NFL. So he was a big time one. Eddie George was at Ohio State when we were there. He won the Heisman. Uh, again, I was too young. We've got some pictures with Eddie holding us as babies, but I don't Dang. remember him all that much. Joey Galloway was a first round pick at Ohio State. There was a lot of talented guys that had Ohio, at Ohio State. Um, and then more recent at AM, they had um, Ryan Tano was playing quarterback at the time. Um, Cyrus Gray was playing, it was the running back, Ryan Swope. Um, there was just a lot of great players, a lot of guys that ended up going playing in the NFL and people around Texas at least recognize those names, you know? That's cool. So did you have a lot of um, access to the locker room and kind of being around the guys? Yeah, we did. And that was really cool. And that's something I'm really glad we got to do. I think my dad did a good job of making sure that we were all able to be up at the facility and be on the sidelines at games. Um, I think, you know, obviously he had three boys, so it's a little different versus if he had girls there wouldn't have been able to be quite as much access. You know, we were able to go in the locker room before and after games, before and after practice. We were hanging out in the weight room. Um, We were, my older brother and I, when we were in middle school, I think I was in seventh and eighth grade, and we were running with uh, the Texas A&M football team for their summer workouts. And those were our summer workouts. And so that, all that stuff, you know, it makes a huge difference as a kid. You get to, obviously on the performance side, like that made a difference because we're getting to run with great athletes, division one football players. Um, and so you kind of step your game up because of that, but also getting to be in the locker room and listen to coaches speak, listen to Mike Sherman speak after a game, specifically after a loss, you know, like you get to see how he handles that, you get to see how players handle it, you know, players that handle it well versus ones that don't. And, um, there's just a lot to learn from that and how players work, how they handle themselves. Um, you just learn a lot getting to be in that environment. So I'm super thankful for that. That's awesome. So lifting is the weight room has been a huge piece of your upbringing. I mean, obviously with your dad, that being his job, was he super tough on you guys putting you through workouts? I mean, I mean, I'm asking this because I know you and I know how your family is with the workouts. So go ahead and uh, go ahead and tell us about that. It's funny. People think, you know, our dad's a strength coach that we've been, you know, we grew up under the squat rack, you know, (laughs) but we didn't like we really I think I started lifting later than most kids in my grade. You know, when we started lifting at school in middle school, I would purposely not lift because our dad was telling us not to. Um, And that's not I'm not saying that kids in middle school shouldn't lift. I'm just saying for us at the time. Uh, we didn't necessarily need to. Um, but then once we did start in high school, it was a grind, you know, because yeah. in middle school, like I said, I was running with the football team. I wasn't necessarily lifting with them. My brother and I, we would do the running and jumping, you know, we weren't necessarily loading up a bar. And then when we got into high school, um, we started working out at the facility and then we had a little weight room set up in our garage, which was just the pain locker. <laughs> and so that was, uh, it was definitely a grind. Once we got to that age, once we really started lifting, I felt like it was, uh, we definitely pushed it in there. 
<laughs> what what is the story about you doing like a thousand a thousand squats in a day or something like that? Well, that was actually after that was by the time I was in pro ball. Actually, it was in an off season, and that was a lift inspired by my dad because uh, he had done it. He said when he was younger, so I wanted to see if I could do it, and it was a hundred thousand pounds total. Jeez. Uh, and so to get to do that. I think it's 45 sets of 10 of 225 pounds. <laughs> so you count 225 for each rep, you know, and so 45 sets of 10 is 450 reps. I guess the math on that comes out to about a hundred thousand pounds. We'll talk. What do we call those? The, uh, the angry lifts, uh, angry lifts. What's the other word? <laughs> yeah. Just the punishment workouts. Pun- yeah. We'll, we'll get more into that. We'll we, get more. We into definitely that. need to get into that. Okay. So go ahead and tell us about your, your family dynamic. You talk about, you have three brothers, Go ahead and two, well, three of y'all, sorry. You have two brothers. There's three of y'all go ahead and tell us about um, y'all's upbringing in sports and uh, how that was in the Kennedy household. Cause I know how competitive you guys are. Yeah. So there was my older brother who's two years older than me. My little brother is two and a half years younger than me. So we were pretty evenly split and we played sports. You know, we played all the sports growing up. We did soccer. We were a little, I got into basketball, football, baseball track because we got a little older, but um yeah, it just, I mean, sports was obviously just a huge part of what we were doing. You know, my mom says when we were growing up once, by the time we were all playing football, she said, I think she was going to a football game four or five nights a week because Golly. we all played a game. And then wherever my dad was coaching at the time, which was AM for the most part, we, I mean, we obviously all went to that game on Saturday. So it was just sports was a huge part of what we were doing. Um, and like I said, we got to go be involved in all that. We got to go up to the facility and see all that. So definitely made a huge impact for us growing up. So did you grow up predominantly as a football player or a baseball player? Um, I, w- I mean, I did both. I did both uh, since I started playing football when I was in maybe fourth grade. Um, I think if you would have asked me when I was playing both, which one I saw myself playing, I would have said football. I always enjoyed football more. I honestly didn't love baseball growing up. I really didn't um, until I ended up, I got a coach who I love, Khaled Baluli, and I think he really turned things around for me. What, what changed with him? What was the big change? It was just different. At the time, I lived in Nebraska, so I was in elementary school, and I didn't feel like to that point I had a coach that really took time to help me and invested in me and was able to really, you know, help me along. Yeah. And so I was ready to quit. I told my parents when we moved to Texas that I didn't want to play anymore. And I was still, I was playing, uh, I played hockey in Nebraska. And I think I wanted to do that. I didn't want to do baseball anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think my dad and I made a deal. He said, play one more year, play this year. And if you still don't like it, you can be done. And so I played that one year in KB, Khaled Balulu. He pitched at A&M. He pitched in pro ball. Um, he was my coach and we just happened. He was awesome. We had a great group and KB, not only did he know the game, you know, he played at a high level, he got up to double a and he, but he cared and he taught us the right way to play. And he taught us um, just what you do and don't do kind of like the intricacies of uh, the unwritten rules of baseball yeah. and respecting the game. And, you know, you don't big league guys and you don't, uh, there's just certain things you do and don't do. He taught us all that. He taught think, us truly about the game of baseball. I think there's a big piece in youth baseball. Like that is a big piece that is missing out right now because there are just so many tournaments you can go to. And and there's so many, like, I guess like 
we'd call them Bush league ways of winning, Bush league, you yeah. know? So like just things that don't happen in pro ball that kids are being taught at the, at the younger levels. So they just don't get it. I mean, you and I both coach a lot and it's just, it's a lot different right now. So I know we both give lessons in the off season. I know that's been a big point of me of kind of like reinstalling how we were taught the game, you know, For sure. it's, it's changed a lot in the last, I guess, 10 years or so. For sure. And I think a big part of that and what KB was great about was at that time when we were 12 years old or 13 years old or whatever it was, we were going to sacrifice winning this tournament for developing. Or, you know, it, what if we whether we win or lose, obviously we're trying to win. We want to. But we're not going to sacrifice this guy's pitch count to do it. And yeah. we're not going to play in a Bush League way to do it. And mm-hmm. we're not going to run up the score. And we're not going to do this and that. And I don't mean, you know, you know, we can talk about sportsmanship and respect and that's all important, but it's not necessarily that it's just the right way to play the game, mm-hmm. the right way to go about doing it and developing at that age. We weren't win, win or lose, you know, KB was truly focused on developing us. I've coached again. I've coached in a lot of like youth baseball tournaments where you'll see these adults and these coaches just kind of take advantage of the youthness of the 10 year old behind the plate, you know, that's calling the game or just stealing all over the kid, just absolutely abusing them. Just like little stuff like that. I don't know. I've always been like right in the middle because you can't say anything to those people like, Oh, what do you want me to do? Not, not help them win. It's just, it's kind of like a loop that you get lost in, but there are definitely ways how youth baseball has changed in the way these kids are like taught the game. For sure. For sure. Winning at a young age, it's just a funny thing, you know, even, you know, in the minor leagues, you could say the same thing, uh-huh. you know, yes, we want to win. Are the clubs necessarily, um, is that at the forefront or is development at the forefront? Developing big leaguers is at the forefront, just like when you're 12 and 13 years old or a couple years younger, or older, the focus should be what's the right way to develop this kid, keep yeah. him healthy, teach him the game of baseball, show him the right way to play, you know, cause in the long run, that's going to end up working out. You know, you see it all the time. We've all seen it. Kid who's a stud, who's 12 years old, his pitching coach ride or his coach rides him for 120 pitches. Yeah. It's just that's not that's not good. It's yeah. not the right way to do it. Yeah. You know, it's playing the game the right way. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so back to your dad being a coach. What's that like bouncing around from it's not even just from town to town, it's from state to state, part of the country to another part of the country. Is that is that tough on you and your brothers? Is it helpful? What what's what is it like? Yeah, there's definitely pros and cons. Um, I think that as a kid, you're excited to move around. When our parents would tell us that we're moving, it's an exciting thing. As you get a little older, um, it's a little harder. When you get into high school and they say we're moving and you're leaving your high school friends, that's definitely a little bit harder. Um, But I'm super thankful that we did it. I think that we learned a lot from going to different places. You know, people in Pittsburgh act a little different than people in college station <laughs> and you kind of need to figure out how to deal with both. And I know I was in elementary school at the time, but there's a lot to be learned from that. And there's a lot to be learned from being the new kid at school. I really do think that goes a long way. Cause that's a hard thing. Like that's really the scariest part of it is your first day of school, your first week of school, you go there and you don't know anybody and you're the new kid and it always works out. It ends up being fine, but it's a scary thing. And it's something you kind of have to figure out, you know, when you're in fourth grade, and you go to a new place and nobody knows who you are and you go to school and kids can be mean, yeah. you know, not that I, I, I didn't never, you know, I didn't get bullied. Kids are always great to me, but that uh, I'm, I'm thankful for it for that reason. 
I got you. That, no, that's a good point. So I, I, I honestly thought it'd be the other way around. I thought I'd be kind of miserable bouncing around, but was there a certain way that your parents like told, like broke the news to you guys? To, were there tears involved? Um, sometimes. Yeah, it depends. They had a, we kind of had a little tradition when we were going to move my parents, my dad would call a family meeting. <laughs> and so whenever we heard we were having a family meeting, you know, that we, we had an idea we were moving. Dave sits you down. All right, guys, we're having a filming. <laughs> oh, here we go again. Yeah. Pack up, start packing up your room. <laughs> um, no, it was, like I said, when you're a kid, he'd said, we're moving to Texas. So we're moving to Nebraska and you know, you can celebrate. It's just fun. It's exciting. Cause it's not that big a deal. As you get older, when they said we were moving to Tampa, that was hard. Cause I had some great buddies there. Um, but it, as a family, you know, it, it brought us closer and it, it forces you to figure things out. You know, when my dad takes a job somewhere and he goes somewhere new, there was always, not always, but most of the time there was a, at least a few month window there where he would go to wherever he was going. And my mom and my brothers and I would stay back and, you know, help pack up the house and yeah. finish the school year until the school year was ever, or whenever the time was right for us to move. And so there was just a period of time from then, from when we found out we were moving and my dad left because we would find out because he took a job and then he would go immediately because mm -hmm. they start working right then. And so say it's three months, then wherever we're living, where it's just my mom and I, and then we move to somewhere new where we don't know anybody. So there's a, you know, there's a few month transition. There's a great period. period. Yeah. yeah. So for those six months, say, you know, it was kind of my mom, my brothers and I, you know, and my, and my dad, he was obviously there. It was, it was the five of us, but for a lot of it, it was my mom and my brothers and I, and I'm super thankful for that time because my brothers are my best buddies and my mom was taking care of us. I'm super thankful to my mom for that. You know, like that was a cool time looking back on it. That's awesome. Yeah, man. You, I mean, I've gotten to know you very well over the years and you and your brothers are definitely competitive. It's pretty easy to say that Eric's the stud out of the group. You don't mean that. Nate. <laughs> don't say things you don't mean on this podcast. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so you end up going through high school. You have the majority of your high school career in uh, in Texas. And then you move to Tampa. When does your recruiting process start? So that started, that really started the summer after my sophomore year. Um, I started at that time playing for the Banditos and Ray DeLeon, who runs the Banditos out of Houston, um, which is a huge Which, if you're team. listening, that is probably the premier select team in texas so yeah they're it's a, huge, a big deal it's a huge organization and we had a great team there was a lot of great players on that team and it's fun to look back on who played on that team but anyways i started playing for the banditos that summer i went to a scout day that they had and um, after that scout day i started getting a little bit of attention um, but really had a pretty short recruiting process okay so what were the what were the main schools that looked at you um the main ones i remember kind of talking to was um a&M, there was some interest. I think we talked about going to visit there. TCU, there was some interest. Rice, there was a little interest in Texas. So predominantly the Texas, Texas schools. schools. That's big time. That's awesome. Well, so what is it like taking a visit, your first visit to the University of Texas where you ended up going to college? Yeah, it was crazy. It was uh, just super exciting because, you know, we talk about even when I was growing up in Nebraska, the University of Texas carries a little bit of weight. You know, that name carries weight. And so when that offer came or when they asked us to come on a visit, it was just super exciting. You know, you're kind of just gawking the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so Skip Johnson was there. He took me on my visit. And then you walk into Augie Greedo's office. This is when he was a few years out from retiring, but you walk into his office and it's 
he's got this huge office and he's got longhorn gear in there and his big leather chair and you talk to augie garrido the legend you know like larger than life larger than life the whole thing yeah it's you're just kind of you're just walking through there wide eyed the whole time living in texas my whole life it's like you hear the university of texas and it's it's such a big deal i know you and brett Brett Boswell, who plays with us with the Rockies as well. He lived with us naturally. We've gotten to be really good buddies. He's from Texas as well. And I've had you guys come down for camps. And I always tell you guys to wear your Texas gear almost over your Rockies gear because those kids see that burn orange and they freak out about it. It's like, it's such a big deal in Texas. It is. It carries a lot of weight. Were you that kid back in the day? Were you? No, I was an Aggie. <laughs> I was a gig mag. If you could have picked one spot other than Louisiana Tech, of course, because yes. Louisiana Tech, I know you're a go dogs guy. If you could have picked one spot coming out of high school, say you had every offer in the country, where would you have picked? I was, I had my dream school and I had two and neither of them were in Texas. Well, it was South Carolina and Clemson. Really? Because South Carolina was, was nasty at the time. I think it was because just like the College World Series was such a big deal when we were younger. I don't know. It feels like it was a lot bigger to watch in high school than we were. I don't know. It's weird. But um, South Carolina and Clemson were always good at the time. Clemson always had super sick jerseys they the they look they look they had the really nice clean nike jerseys top five unis college baseball for sure and i i always had those um as my like my dream schools now if i were to pick one in texas it would have probably been a&m because my family grew up diehard aggie fans so that i'd say those three schools for me it's funny like you said you watch the college world series how much of an impact that makes when you're a kid and you watch the teams at the college world series like that's why my original, I loved UT because when we were in Nebraska, we'd go to the College World Series and they it seemed like they were always there, yeah. you know, and that it just sticks with you as a kid. And they don't have this anymore, but the college baseball video game, playing that on the PS2, oh, the best. you pop that bad boy in, you pick uh, you pick Florida against FIU, a game that you know you can win. <laughs> in about 20 dingers, you playing in the cornrow field yes, with the yes. short fence. Yes, I wish they still had that. So, okay, so then you roll into Texas. What What is it like your first day on Texas, on Texas campus? Because like you said, I'm sure it's like a larger than life type deal. It definitely is like you're just trying to find your place. You know, you're trying to find your role. Where am I going to fit in in the clubhouse? Where am I going to fit in on the team? Um, and that, that goes through your whole freshman year, as I'm sure it does for, you know, just freshmen in college in yeah. general, especially freshman athletes. Like, I think you're just trying to find where do I where am I going to fit on this team? You know, and so there's a lot of that. And my freshman year, I really wasn't very good. You know, I think I was the guy that you know, everybody was like, he's got a pretty good arm, but he has no idea where the ball's going. <laughs> he's just spraying balls. Yeah. I, my whole freshman year was that way. I think I had 11 or 12, you know, less than 15 innings on the year. So I just, I didn't know where the ball was going. So that whole year was tough, that, but it's that an adjustment. poses an issue in pitching. That, yeah. If you can't throw it over the plate. That's a problem. Yeah. That doesn't play. That so doesn't play. your brother's actually there. Your brother is playing with you. Your brother went to the university of Texas as well. Um, as did all three of you guys. I was going to get to that in a little bit. All three Kennedy boys end up going to Texas. What's it like with your big brother there kind of helping you along the way? It was really cool. Yeah. Ben and I got to go to school together in high school for one year, but we didn't ever play on the same team. He was on varsity. I was on JV at the time. Um, so we got to be on the same team, um, be in the same clubhouse, you know, all your friends are the same. So that was really cool. We actually lived my sophomore year. We lived in houses right next door to each other, which was really cool. So that was definitely a cool thing for Ben and I to get to, you know, that's, it's just like a volatile time as a kid, you're going to college, trying to figure all that stuff out. And to have my brother there was really cool. That's awesome. So like I said, with a lot of guys listening to this who are from Texas, 
um, everybody knows Augie Greedo. Augie is just such a staple in college baseball. And I know you only had him for a year, but did that year with him make a big impact on you? Was, I mean, what was he like having as a coach? For sure. Yeah. I still think about him and I don't, I don't, uh, you know, Augie and I didn't get a ton of time Mm one-on-one, you know, I don't feel like we got enough time to really build a relationship, but I got to watch him and you get to watch a legend like that, you know, and everybody has the view of him from the YouTube video because everybody's seen the video of Augie, you know, ripping the team and then they end up winning the rest of their games or whatever it is. And so that's kind of the impression and Augie for sure. You know, I didn't ever really see him pop off on anybody like that, but he, you know, I think he could really be hard on guys, but if you, you can browse through the rest of those YouTube videos and find speeches of Augie talking to the guys after a loss or even just a game that didn't play as well as they wanted to. And he ties baseball into life and he ties, you know, how these guys are working in how they're working to prepare for the games into how they're going to work to prepare for the rest of their lives. You know, like I think Augie talking to him kind of gave me a different level of respect. He was just a super smart guy. He talked to him. He seems just wise, you know, he was, he spoke well. Um, I definitely look up to him as a coach. He was, there's a reason that he was a legend. Well, you see these videos on YouTube and if, if you haven't go, go look up Augie Garrido online, if you're listening to this and the first video that pops up, is going to be him in a locker room, just blowing the guys up. I mean, that's like the most famous video of him, but it sounds like you have your coaches that properly time and they know how to blow up on you and get in your face and kind of get you to wake up. And then you have your coaches who are just doing it every other bad play. Any, anytime there's something goes wrong, they freak out. It sounds like Augie knows how to properly time his blowups, I guess. Yeah. You can just tell even watching that video, you know, and it's kind of, it's, it's off the walls because of how hard he goes, but he's, he's not doing it to do it. He's not yelling at guys to yell at guys. He's not yelling at guys about things that don't matter. He, he says in the video, he says, it's kind of funny, but he says, this isn't about some game. This is about our lives. Uh-huh. You know, there may be an expletive or two in there. <laughs> there definitely was. That's what he says. And Augie, I think it was that way. He's talking about his life. Baseball was his life. Yeah. And how this is going to translate to his players' lives. You know, what can we learn from this? And so I think you can see when you watch those videos that he meant it. Augie is not yelling at people to yell at people, which a lot of people do. Yeah. You know, a lot of, I think, coaches, it's easy to fall into – kind of trying to be the hardo or trying to want to instill a certain culture, whereas that stuff can kind of happen organically. And I think Augie, he picked the right spots because he meant it. He cared about the players. He meant what he was saying. So it happened naturally for him. I think that's, I think that's actually super important to have a coach that can like, that can really get after you because the best year of college baseball that I had, that was at Louisiana tech when we made the, uh, when we made a regional, we ended up going to the regional championship against Mississippi State. We had a coach, Greg Goff, who was extremely, extremely hard on us. And I mean, he would rip into you because he wanted you to make the play that you should make. I mean, he never got mad at us for like crazy um, physical errors, but any mental mistakes or just the basic average play. If, if you botched it, he'd get on, get on to you because that's what you can control. And so having him there, we almost bonded together in our, like in the moment, in the moment, we were all not a big fan of him just because he would rip us. But looking back on it now, we needed that. I mean, we a hundred percent needed that and it worked. I mean, we were picked 11th out of 12th in conference USA and we ended up making a regional tournament. And I think we were 
third or fourth in the conference, but I think it's a super big piece. And looking back on it now, it really is because of how tough he was on us. Yeah. And there's for sure a right and wrong way to do it. And you got to know who you're dealing with. Yeah. And that's something my dad says all the time is you're not going to talk to, or you're not going to deal with Nate Harris the same way you're going to deal with Nick Kennedy, the mm -hmm. same way you're going to deal with whoever, you know, like you got to know as a coach who you're dealing with, how's this guy going to respond? Why did he make the error? Does he know why? And after that, it's good, you know, because you also do see a lot of, especially in college baseball, but I think in baseball in general, high school too, for sure. You see coaches a lot of times making it harder than it needs to be on guys, yeah. you know, and that's a huge problem is guys who are, you know, they're ripping players for striking out or for making an error on a ground ball. Of course, there are times where it's right and wrong, but I think a lot of times coaches, it's easier for them to fall into kind of almost being a disciplinarian, which can easily make it harder on guys than it needs to be. There's a difference in being a disciplinary coach and a loose cannon. For sure. The loose cannons never, they never work. Right. So, okay. So then you end up, Augie ends up retiring and then you move into the years of Pierce, right? Correct. David Pierce. What is that? I'm sure because Augie was at Texas for how long? You definitely long, that up. a long time, 20 plus years, forever. So, what's that like in the you were a part of the first year at Texas without Augie Garrido? Did things change drastically? Did he try to fill the same shoes? What was it like? Um, I don't know that I'd say there was a drastic change. You know, I think if you're in Coach Pierce's shoes and you're following somebody like Augie Garrido, that's a hard job. To yeah, do. that's really. And tough. I don't think you go in there and blow the thing up and try to restart. You know, obviously he wants to try to put his handprint on things without, you know, you want to. Augie was obviously doing a lot of things well. Yeah. Um, and I think Coach Pierce did a good job of that. You know, he obviously has them in a good spot right now. They're number know, one right now, right? They're number one. Yeah, they're rolling. But he's he he kind of did a good job of transitioning from the Garrido era to doing what he does, you yeah. know? And so I, I only caught a year of it. So I didn't really get to see him totally implement the things, but I've, I've been back a couple of times and it's cool to watch kind of the culture they've got going on now. Speaking about the culture, I mean, Texas has just put out guy after guy. I mean, lots of big leaguers played at Texas. I think the year that you got drafted, y'all had like 12 guys get drafted or something. I think it, it was 11, but yeah, it was a lot. That's insane. So, I mean, Texas is just, in incredible baseball culture were there any guys that came around that i mean i know roger roger clemens had his sons that you played with did he ever come back and kind of work with the team or maybe houston street guys like that yeah both of them roger would come around and at least a few times while i was there roger spoke um he spoke and he was able to you know just tell it's fun to listen to a guy like that tell stories about when he was pitching in the world series or what Mariano Rivera told him yeah. or what he talked to Derek Jeter about, you know, that's cool. You have your big leaders that you talk to. And then you have guys like Roger Clemens. Rogers, he's to. just on another level than anybody else yeah. you, you could ever talk to. Maybe one of the best to have ever done yes. it, you know? And so it's fun to listen to him talk. He would actually come back and throw bullpens and we would all get to watch his bullpen and he would talk through it. And he would tell us kind of what he's thinking, which was really cool. You're watching one of the best pitchers to ever do it. <laughs> throw a bullpen and i don't know how old he was at the time but still dotting yeah. absolutely dotting just you know pain. throwing a splitter still it's all still nasty it might not be as hard as it was you know back in his heyday but it's still impressive still to got watch. It. he's still got it i still got it so it was fun he was around houston street would come around 
what are some know, other guys that uh, he would talk like that are big name guys out of texas um uh, big name guys that are still playing brandon belt's a big one that is big he's one. had a huge he's had a super long career um brandon workman has ended yep. up putting together a pretty long career um Kniebel. Corey Knable. He was there yeah. before I was there, so I didn't ever play with him. But there's been a few uh, recently that I've put together some pretty long careers. Um, those guys haven't been able to come around quite as much. But, um, yeah, it's definitely cool to be able to be around guys like that. Nice. So you get drafted in the fifth round by the Rocks. Did you talk a lot to the Rocks during the year? No, not that I remember. I really don't think I did at all. We had a little – I had a meeting. We had a scout day. And after scout day, you would meet with whichever teams wanted to meet with you, and Rockies were one of them. So I talked to them then um which is either at the beginning of the spring or the end of fall i can't remember but um other than that i don't remember talking to them so what's uh what's your draft story where were you at what was going on i was just at home i was at home with my mom and dad i don't remember where exactly my brothers were but they weren't there and we were just following along on the draft tracker tracker. and i knew that the fifth round was kind of going to be the threshold you know because there was a chance i was going to go back uh, depending on how the draft went and so the fifth round was it had started, and so we were all kind of sitting on the edge of our seats, and then that pick came through, so we were super excited. That's awesome. So, uh, so the top, I think, five or six round guys that get drafted by the Rockies actually get to go to Denver, and you were a part of that. You actually got to sign your contract in Denver. What was that like being invited out there and seeing Coors Field? It was really cool. I mean, it was, yeah, they kind of wine and dined us for a couple of days, which was a lot of fun. And there was yeah, there was me and four or five other guys out there. Um, so I got to meet some other guys from our draft class and we hung out in Denver. We went to a game, we signed, I had my 21st birthday out there. Actually, I turned 21. Ooh. Yeah. We'll talk about that one. Other time. <laughs> <laughs> but that was fun. It was, it was a super cool trip. Shout out Pearson McMahon, Pearson McMahon, Chad Spanberger, uh, Will Gaddis, Tommy Doyle, Ryan Valade, big Tom, our boy, big Tom, big Tom, man. Okay. So you go into, and I think this is a super funny talking point is, you go from the glamorous life in Austin, Texas, at the University of Texas, to Boise, Idaho. So a lot of guys that we've talked to um, that are rocks on the pod got to go to Grand Junction, and we had two rookie ball teams, Grand Junction, Colorado, Boise, Idaho. We haven't gotten the flip side of the grittiness of Boise, Idaho. Go, go ahead and tell us about that. Yeah, we talk about how it was it's just a you're you feel like you're stepping up in the baseball world you're getting into pro ball but in every other aspect you're taking a huge step down <laughs> you know we were taking a step down to almost what i imagine your juco days were like was that pretty comparable uh yeah i, I would say my junior college locker room was a lot better than the boys yet we had a, a double white trailer as wow, um, you guys are living lavish. No, looking back on that Boise locker room, the double wide was lavish <laughs> to an extreme. I still remember like walking into um, that locker room and just being so excited for pro ball. And you walk in there and it's like half the size of your living room at home. You're like, whoa, yeah, yeah like, what are we tiny. doing here? But um, honestly, it's it's good thinking about it now because like you, you got to like earn your stripes and work your way up. And so you start, you start working at the bottom and where we were at this past year in Hartford and double a, I mean, you really, it makes you really appreciate the really nice fields and the really nice locker rooms. Definitely all aspects. Like you even go from that to the next year uh, we were in Asheville and travel is a huge part of it, Yes, you know? And so you, after Boise, there was nowhere to go from up in yeah. terms of clubhouse, in terms of travel, you know, Asheville felt like a breeze. I mean, Boise, everything seemed like eight hours. I think we were the only team in Idaho. So everything else was in Washington and uh, 
Oregon. Oregon right? up one, to Canada. One team in Canada. That was a 15-hour drive. That was 100% probably the best road trip we've had in Pro Bowl. We're still considering Vancouver was – yeah, that, that might be the single best yes. road trip that we've had. Yes. What? Oh, man. What's that donut place? Donut Timmy place. Hortons. Timmy Hose. Tim Hortons. That place. That That is like the Canadian uh, Dunkin' Donuts, and it is phenomenal. All around great trip. Taking the subway downtown. Yep. We would hop on the subway, which was maybe a mile walk from our hotel. What was that? The Sandman. The Sandman the Hotel. The Sandman Hotel. We would walk to, uh, we'd walk to the subway in the morning, go through downtown Vancouver, which is incredible. Um, yeah, that was a great trip. That was awesome. But overall, we had some crazy bus rides in in Boise because one, you don't have a roster limit. Rookie ball is like 40, 45 guys on the team. So you're sitting the entire bus is two to a seat. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's a different world. It's funny how before that, I I don't feel like I knew that any of that really happened until I got there. You know, I didn't know what that whole minor league lifestyle was. You just kind of hear about big league life, I guess. Yeah. You just kind of expect it to be glamorous. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't know. And then we, that, that first day we got there, the first, the very first day I got there, we were taking a road trip to Hillsborough, which was eight or nine hours away. And I remember getting there and they were saying, guys were saying, yeah, we're taking a road trip tonight. I was like, what do you mean we're taking a road trip tonight? We're <laughs> we just got done with the game. <laughs> no, we're, yeah, we're about to start a game. What, what are you talking about? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, we're leaving after the game. And I was like, okay. And they said, we're, it's, it's eight or nine hours. We'll probably get there about 8.30 a.m. I was like. <laughs> and then play the next day. Yeah. And you're going to have a guy you're sharing a seat with on the bus. I was like, well, you got to know that guy on the bus ride. If I'm not too sure, I mean, I think you had a pretty intimate moment with your bus partner. Yeah, we were head on the shoulder, sleeping <laughs> together. Because at that point, we were going to do anything it took. Borderline snuggling, I'd say. Well, that might be a little too far. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so then we go to Asheville, right? And then, like you said, the travel a hundred percent gets better in Asheville. I mean, we, uh, I'd say we were anywhere from two hours to. We did have one fourteen hour. I think we went up to New Jersey uh delmarva and lakewood were both pretty far yeah yes okay so what's uh what's that first full season like what's the first full season like um it's definitely different the full season just in how long it is i think it kind of uh it takes an adjustment you know you get 70 games in and you're at the halfway point and you're saying what there's no way we're still going on um so it was definitely adjustment and the level of play was i felt like was a little jump up um and i obviously had my struggles there and so it was a long season to say the least talk about that because that was was that your first like real i mean that's our first full season but i mean pro ball is is so long and the seasons are so long it's like a roller coaster sometimes tell us about that year and kind of what you learned i know it was a struggle what did you take away from that year all kinds of things. I mean, we could have a podcast episode just about that one year, but I uh, was starting at the time I started in short season and then I was starting again in Asheville and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't get out. And by the end of the year, my arm was done. My velo was down. My stuff was down. I just felt um, almost kind of helpless, you know? And at that point you're almost 30 starts in give or take a couple. And uh, it was just, I was having a really hard time, um, I guess, dealing with struggling that bad because it was for the most part all year. Like you said, you're a starter at this, at this point. And 
and this is your first and only season as a starter. You're a bullpen guy now. So what, what are you working on? Because you have five days in between. I know you're struggling. I mean, I was your roommate. I, I know it was a tough year on you. What are you working on day to day? What was the big piece you were trying to fix that year? Um, I would say my focus for the most part was dialing in my command. You know, I, I don't think at this point I was really changing my stuff a whole lot or focusing a ton on my stuff. I, like I said, you know, if I go back to college, I really didn't have a ton of innings under my belt in high school. Even in my freshman year of college, I didn't pitch a lot because I was spraying the ball. My sophomore year made some adjustments to where I felt like I could at least throw strikes. All I was trying to do at that time was put it in the strike zone. You know, I wasn't, there yeah. was no locating. I was just trying to throw a strike. And so then the only time I had it between then and Asheville was the short Boise season, which I felt like I got better in, but Asheville, our first full season was really the time that I was trying to dial in my command. And that was, you know, a long road. Um, but I felt like I was making a slow progress on that. Yeah. So I, th I think, I think we got to share this. We talk about the, uh, the reckless workouts earlier. Reckless. I remember you being in Asheville and I mean, it was middle of the year. I know you were, you were struggling mentally. You just decided to go run home one day. You just, you just went on a run. I and did. I mean, we're not talking just a normal run. I mean, we're talking a marathon almost. Yeah, it was, a, it was, I think about eight miles, give or take. <laughs> Straight um, uphill. From the, yeah, it was a lot more uphill than I thought it was. <laughs> about the second mile. I was like, wait, hold on, turn it back. I remember, I remember we left, we, it was right after a start and you hand me your bag. You, hey man, can you take this home? Like, yeah, we're just going to get in the car. You're like, no, I'll see you at home in about two hours. <laughs> yeah. It was like you said, that was, I was struggling mentally at the time. I was having a terrible year on the field. I was, I wasn't having a lot of success. And so mentally I was not in a great spot. And I think that, you know, the reckless workouts, the punishment workouts, whatever we want to call them has always been something that I've kind of done. I think just for my mental, almost like my, as a release, just kind of like, just let it all out as a release, let it out. I think working out for me for a long time has been a way to kind of check off the box to make sure that I know that I'm doing what I can do. Yeah. There's something, and I don't even think that this is all valid. Like sometimes I think I take it too far, but I do know that I feel like when I work hard in the weight room, I kind of correlate that to working hard to doing everything that I could do to make sure that I'm yeah. going to have as much success as I can. And so that's kind of what that was. I've uh, kind of had issues with that and had to dial it back where, you know, whether it was in Asheville or previous to that, or since then, you know, I'm struggling or I have a bad outing and I feel the urge to do a workout like that. And part of it is just blowing off steam. And part of it is, I think, just trying to come to terms with yourself and understanding that I'm doing everything that I can do. I'm pushing myself. I'm not having success, not because I'm not working hard enough. Yeah. It's for something else. I'm not finding the right mix, but it's not because I'm not working hard enough. That's something that I think I've always had to check off in my own mind. And as I've gotten older, I've understood that that may not be in my best interest. You That's know? one thing we've really learned in, in pro ball is quality over quantity i mean it's easy to you had a bad game you go into the backyard and you just throw about a 200 pitch bullpen i mean i mean just absolutely beaten to the ground i mean that we've learned that with these long seasons and playing for five months you don't necessarily need to do that you might need to get a short quick throwing program make sure you work on what you need to work on and call it a day right and it's a process i think when you're a kid when you're coming up through high school 
you know, I think at that point you're learning how to really work. I think you're learning how to work hard when I'm struggling. I need to go put in extra work to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can do as you move forward and you kind of mature and you get more time more game innings, then you understand you're able to kind of step back. Okay. I know that I'm going to put in the work that I need to put in, but I can also understand that what I'm doing right now after the game isn't really doing anything for me, you know, and that's not to say that working out after the game can absolutely be a mental release. Like, I think that that's a good thing to do, but within reason, you know, it's, it's almost dialing back understanding what's really helping me and what's not. And everybody's got their own mental release that we definitely learned that through pro ball. You have to have your things that help you get away from the game and from maybe not from competition, but just like get away from the field. Like I know a lot of guys golf is that, that their mental release. A lot of guys, I don't know, video games are their mental release. Like for you, it just happens to be desserts. For me, it's either (laughs) it's desserts and podcasting. You go to cheesecake factory. That'll make you forget about all your issues. You will not. You'll you'll just cry into your cheesecake. Hey, I tell you what, there's nothing that a lemon meringue cheesecake cannot solve in my life. You're a lemon meringue guy. And that's where we disagree. Okay. For all you guys listening, Nick and I have lived together now for two or three times. And man, have we gotten on a dessert kick. I mean, if you think about any any dessert that comes to mind, we've tried it. We've tried to hit. That's a fun thing about going on the road is we try to find new diners before we go up to the field or new dessert spots. You know, obviously within reason, we're not eating dessert every night, but we treat ourselves now and then because you kind of have to to break up the long season. You know, we as we're sitting here and we're talking about Asheville, that is probably the the worst our diet has been. Yeah, it wasn't good, man. It wasn't good. I can't tell you how many times we went to that McDonald's and realized they weren't open at 2 a.m., but they're just shutting the doors on us. <laughs> I think they were just shutting the doors on us personally. <laughs> yes, yes. But, uh, but oh, also, shout out Tommy Doyle. We cannot forget about the uh, the Cheesecake Tom. Factory CEO himself. Yeah, that guy loves it. Shout out Big Tom. We're ready to see that guy back out here. So, okay, so now we move into the next year in Lancaster, and you make the move to the bullpen. Um, what What is your thought process when the Rocks tell you, Hey, we want to take you out of the starter role. We want to put you in the bullpen. Well, that whole process was kind of, uh, I mean, when you first hear that, it's kind of a disappointment, honestly, because the year before wasn't good. The year in Asheville was not a very good year. Um, And then going, leaving spring training that year, I actually got sent back to Asheville initially, which is kind of a punch in the gut. It's a hard thing to have to repeat and to go back to the same place you were before. And not only that, but I'm doing it out of the bullpen now, yeah. which, um, you know, I kind of saw as a, a little bit of a demotion, whether that's true or not. You know, I think maybe that's something that I was just kind of making up in my own head. But either way, that was something that I kind of had to overcome mentally was getting sent back to Asheville. Um, you can, I guess, choose to uh, kind of obsess over it and think I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I think I try to just push it out of sight, out of mind as best I could, you know, and do the work and whatever comes, comes. And hopefully I can move up. And thankfully I, I did. We see that a lot in, in Pro Bowl. I mean, there are guys that we end up playing with or guys that we just, that we're buddies with that talk about where they at and all they're focused on is like, man, I, I hate where I'm at. I just want to be in the big leagues or I just want to be a double A, something like that. And a lot of those guys are just miserable for the time that they're playing and it'll feed right into their time on the field. So I think you handled it great of, of enjoying the guys that, that you were around and kind of just embracing the moment. And yeah, it might've sucked when you first got the news, but I mean, just kind of embracing that new role helped you get out of there fast and 
promoted to Lancaster. Yeah, it's super easy to fall into. And it goes back since you play baseball, right? Like think about when you're in high school, like this, this process never stops. I think the process of, man, I want to get out of where I'm at. I want to, I want to move up to the next spot. You know, you're in high school, you're on the JV team, dude, if I could just make varsity, I'd be pumped. You know, oh, that we're did good. I play that game. No, I'm sure you did. <laughs> were, you a, were you a junior year? Varsity I was a, senior? I was a, uh, I was, I was on JV till my junior year. I didn't pitch on varsity until the last game of the regular season in JV. And your junior year, you mean? My junior year, yeah. And I then you were a playoff hero, right? Yeah. I, I Then I, my first real inning of pitching on varsity was in the playoffs. Yeah, you're bad. So, Coach, any, anyway, you were built anyway. for a big moment. <laughs> anyway, like yeah. you're, in, you're in, on JV and you'd give anything to make it varsity. And then you're on varsity and you give anything to go play in college. Yeah. And then you're, you're in college and you're like, dude, I got I to get drafted. You know, you get draft. I'm in low A. I want to get the high. You always want more. Never stop. Yeah. Always. You know, versus until you and, get to the big leagues. And nothing yeah. after that. Yeah. Well, no. I bet it. I bet it's the same because I think you get to the big leagues and I'm a rookie in the big leagues and I'm doing okay, dude. If I could just be established, if I could just sign, if that I could just contract, get to that next contract for sure. Probably. I don't, I don't yeah. know that it ever stops. Versus, can we all just take a moment and say, look at where we look at where I was last year. Yeah. Look at where I was two years ago, where I would have given anything to be where I'm at right now. Yeah. You know, it's exhausting, but it could also be a good thing of not being complacent too. So I, there, there's a balance. There's a middle ground there no of wanting, wanting to achieve that next goal, but also not getting so caught up in it that I'm making myself miserable. For sure. And that's where, you know, it's cliche at this point, but trust the process. I don't even want to say that, but yeah. like do the work day to day so that whatever happens, you're good with it. If I've done the work, whether I move up and I have success or I don't, I've done what I can do. I think that's really the biggest thing that that's, that's gotta be the biggest focus for guys. I think, yeah. If you know for a fact that you've done everything that you can do, then whether you make it to varsity or you don't, you're good. You yeah. truly are. And I think that goes you can, for you can lay your head down. I know that you did everything you did for sure. You're good. Just like now I still have to check myself on that every day. You know, if I'm going to make it to the big leagues or I'm not, as long as I know that I'm doing what I'm, what I can do, then I'm good with it. You exactly. know what I'm saying? Like, for sure, I'm gonna do everything I can do to get to the big leagues. I want to get there so bad, and I want to get to that contract so bad. Whatever it is, but all you can really focus on is making sure you do what you can do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a big. I mean, that's that's the biggest piece that I know we are gonna have to take at the end of the day, whether or not we make it to the big leagues or not. Just being okay with where we're at in our careers and just being happy with the work that we put in. Right. Cause you'll drive yourself crazy if you don't, I yeah. think everybody's just trying to get to the point where you have peace of mind to where whenever you're done, then, you know, you, you have no regrets about it, you know, cause then whether you're done after high school, whether you're done after college, whether you play for 15 years in the big leagues, if you can have peace about what you did, then I think that, you know, you ended the way you wanted to end. So you know? would you, would you credit your work ethic to your dad and how he brought you up? Honestly, I would say I would give most of it to that. Yeah. I think, and it was not necessarily that, you know, my dad was some meathead strength coach that drove us into the ground and forced us to work. It wasn't that, I think it was more that I just got to watch my dad work and I got to watch him go into work early before anybody else did and never miss a day. And I just, I, th I don't think at the time I really realized it, but as I grew older, I watched my dad work. Like he, that's what he did. He worked harder than anybody else, Yeah. you know, and I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from what other people in the building were doing. There are other guys working hard for sure, but
but I knew that my dad was putting in the work and I knew that that was kind of the expectation. Not that he really jammed us, jammed it down our throats, you know, cause I think that could go wrong too. You try to force people to work that don't want to work. They're not going to work. Yeah. You know, I think it was just getting to watch him and getting to watch, getting to be in the locker room, you know, at these big universities and watch the guys that work and watch the guys that don't work and the guys that prepare and the guys that don't, you know, like just getting to see that as a kid, I think, made a huge difference for me for sure when did your dad make the jump to the nfl again was that when that was your senior year what's that like watching because that would have been your first experience with professional athletes correct what is it like now grant i know this is the nfl but what is what is that experience like being a part of getting to see an nfl locker room um it's just a different atmosphere obviously you know it's at that point it's much more of a business you know just like it is almost from college ball to pro ball for us it's much more of a business and yes obviously the team is trying to win they want to win but everybody's kind of watching out for themselves i'm not saying this in a bad way at all but everybody's kind of they've got to make sure they stay healthy they've got to make sure that they get their time they whatever it is they at this point are trying to provide for their family hopefully for generations you know whereas in college hey let's all pull in the same direction and try to win some games you know it's a totally different atmosphere and there's definitely something to learn from both, but being able to watch professional athletes specifically, watch the ones who really prepare, getting to watch them prepare is, I mean, that sticks with you for sure. So I know I, is it different because it's an NFL locker room? Like, are you a lot less, are you a lot more restricted on being able to go in with your dad or did you get to go do workouts in there? What's that like? No, it really wasn't any different for us in terms of what we were able to go see. I think it was maybe a little different because you know, now you're dealing with a guy who might be 30 years old and has played yeah. in the NFL for seven years and has a family. It's just a different dynamic there versus like we talked about, you know, when Larry Fitzgerald's in college, he could come babysit us. And yeah. could, it's just like you're playing with a big kid, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. it's just, it's just kind of a different environment. So it was maybe a little more, you know, watch what you say and do a little more, but it's more professional. Yeah. More professional. Yeah, for sure. What uh so Jameis is there at that time, huh? Jameis was the man. Jameis Winston, do you have any do you ever get to be around him? I did, and it was cool because Jameis played baseball in college through college. Yeah, through like 95. Yeah, he was nasty. And he Jameis is awesome, man. He I got to spend a little bit of time with him. You know, we've gotten to talk several times about baseball, and um he's I mean, even watching him now, he's had a ton of ups and downs. Like he's had struggles after being, I think he was the number one overall pick. Was he? Yes. He was yes, one of the was. first few picks. State. Yeah. And won the Heisman, I believe. Yep. But either way, he was on top of the football world and he got signed by the Bucks, and things didn't quite go as planned. And he's been hurt now. It's just been a little bit rockier. <clears throat> and I get to see him work and you get to see the way that he prepared and the way that he talked with his teammates. Like uh, it was cool kind of getting to learn from him from a distance. Like yeah. I said, I talked to him a few times about baseball and about his uh, experience, but just getting to watch Jameis work, he really does work. And he, he rallies the troops. As good as anybody, you know? yeah. I, I love his, uh, his, pre, his pregame speeches. They're definitely genuine. <laughs> They're genuine. That's one thing he's, you got to say about Jameis. He's eating them W's. He's eating them W's, man. So what is the difference in the two locker rooms? What's a football locker room like in, in the NFL? And what's a football or a baseball locker room like in pro ball? Uh, what would be the best way to describe that? Um, I mean, I know one has significantly more guys, so it's significantly it's more guys. Um, what also is different is, and again, I was in, I got to see the Bucks locker room. So these guys, 
these guys are players in the NFL. Some of them have signed big contracts, have been playing for a long time. Yeah. So far, we've really only seen our minor league True. locker room. True. So for us, it's been a very much like we're playing with our best buddies. Yeah. You know, and we're on the same team as our best buddies. Everybody on our team, I know at least pretty well because we've spent so much time together. Yeah. I think in the NFL locker room, it's, I would say, a little more professional because those guys you know, have great relationships with each other, but aren't necessarily buddies that they came up with together. Yeah. And they've, it's just more of a business feel, I would say, at least from what I've seen. Yeah. Now, is it different at the big league level? I don't know. I'm sure, you know, there you get guys that have been playing for a long time as well. So I don't know. I'm, that's just what I would notice. Yeah, for sure. So then we go into Hartford, Nate and Nick are roommates. Once again, we go to good old Hartford, Connecticut, live in the Sage Allen apartments maybe some may say some glorified uh, dorm rooms. Yep. Um, we had a fun year. I mean, it, it wasn't the most successful baseball year, but this was, this was a big learning curve for you and I, and we both had some, some big ups and downs and this is kind of like where we finished. And now we're going into spring training, getting ready for this next coming year. What's your reflection on, uh, on Hartford? Yeah, it was just kind of a time again to look in the mirror. I was our, both of our first year in double A. So mm-hmm. you take a look at, you know, people talk a lot about double A kind of being a little bit more of a barometer as far as where telling, you stand. Yeah. Like, yeah. And what's going to work in the big leagues and what's not. Not that double A is a big leagues, but it's definitely a step closer. Yeah. I mean, that they say all the top talent is isn't is in double A, especially in that league. That league was really tough. It was. And so that was just a chance to kind of look at what each of us were doing and say, okay, realistically, is what I'm doing going to work in the big leagues or is it not? And if yeah. it's not, then it's time to change some things in which we both did. Obviously, you made a little adjustment, a Just really a small, small one. one. Yeah. yeah. Start throwing a lot slower. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't spin the ball quite <laughs> no, as well. No, I try not to spin the ball because if I spin <laughs> the ball, it goes very far. You got the lowest spin rate in that league. For yes, sure. for sure. No, the, the knuckleball was definitely a, a life change, not a sure. life change. And I know you went into the offseason. You got to go to driveline and, and look at your stuff and kind of figure out how you can make things better because I mean, we both know that we had to make some changes if we want to keep the dream alive. Yeah. It was totally a time to make some adjustments and we're just lucky now that we have the tools that we have, you know, we've got the Repsoto and the track man and all that stuff. And you can just look and go into the off season with a plan of specifically, this is what I want my pitches to look like. These are the adjustments I want to make. And so that was nice going into the off season, having an actual plan. I know you did too. Yep. And getting instant feedback and you know we'll see hopefully our adjustments work but i feel like we both kind of achieved what we wanted to over the offseason for sure you got to work with a a longtime big leader this offseason kip wells if you watch a lot of baseball you definitely know who he is but how long did kip pitch for in the big leagues i want to say just over 10 years that's crazy he was such a good guy when i came down and, <laughs> yeah, he's and the man him. kip's awesome he's got this little facility in houston we call it the dojo it's called kip wells 32 um he runs it and he's He's the man. He's definitely been a cool guy. Again, it's fun to listen to him talk about that one time he faced Albert Pujols or, you know, when he was playing with, you know, he pitched against Ichiro or whatever. That's just fun stuff to hear yeah. about, you know, because he was. Anybody who pitched in the big leagues for anywhere around 10 years, like that yeah, guy, you, you, he did you some did things, it. right? Yeah, yeah, you did it. You did it. Guy's a phenomenal hacky sack player. Elite. I would, I would say borderline elite. Yeah. You know, he's going to bust out some good moves. You came, Nate came for a day, played hacky sack. I'm not going to say it was great. I'm not going to say it was bad, 
mediocre is really the word that comes to mind to describe, you know, it. for someone who played once this off season and seeing you play on a daily basis. And for me to abuse you like that, I, okay. I think that the roles might need to be switched. Abuse but is a strong word. Yes. Mate. Yes. So hack, the hack was something that we picked up big time in Hartford. I mean, that was a staple in our pregame routine. Hacky sack became a real hobby. And that's one of those things that like hacky sack and, uh, you know, we talked about desserts and going out to eat, finding board good games. diners, board games, Catan. Like it's just finding stuff to kind of break up the monotony when you've got 140 games or last year was 120, but finding a way to break that up and just kind of check out for a little bit mentally. I think that's what I end up missing most in the, and hundred percent, whenever baseball is done, that's what I'm going to miss. I wouldn't say most, obviously you'll miss playing baseball, but you will miss those small little nuances that we pick up year to year. Like, like we just said, in Lancaster, we were super big on the board game Catan. Last year, we were super big on playing PGA and uh, and playing Hacky Sack and also just hitting up our diners in the middle of nowhere. You find your little things with your group that just kind of keep you sane through the year to where you're not just baseball 100% of the time. Right. Finding a way to check out in a healthy way, you know, and that's also why. I tell people now, you know, we've been with the Rockies since 2017 when we mm-hmm. got drafted. Like my closest buddies, you know, most of my closest buddies are guys that we've played with. Yeah. Now, you know, and obviously I've got great friends from high school and college, but I it's guys that I've played with because even though we've known each other for four years, like it it happens fast because it it's every single You've gotten day. married in that time. I've gotten married. In Your that wife time. is sitting here in the room with us watching. Yes. Shout out Elizabeth. We shout out married. Liz. We got married over the COVID year. So we're, we're about a year and a half right now. Um, and we did, we actually got married right outside of Asheville. Um, we went back to the OG spot, back to the OG spot. There was, we played there in 2018 and then 2020, we got married outside of Asheville. So that was fun getting to go back there and revisit that place. I was there. I, I came down and saw you in Austin for, your second date with Elizabeth, you ditched me to go hang out with Elizabeth when I came in town. Well, I, mean, I guess that paid off. I can't I mean, get too did. mad at that. I mean, I'm not mad that I ditched you. You for that. left me with dadgum Brett Boswell for an afternoon. I'm not mad that I ditched you for that because <laughs> I was going out to hang out with my wife. Okay. And I'm not mad. I, I, I got the pick. I either hang out with her, you know, explore this. We're going to go on a second date. Or I'm going to sit here and hang out with Nate. Yeah. Which, I mean, what? there's a clear right. It's a win-win there. either way. Well, I, I, don't, say, I, so. I don't know that I'd say that. Your wedding was a blast going back to Asheville after we hadn't been there for two years. So we had, we had a great bus driver in, uh, (laughs) in Asheville. And um, so Nick's venue was a good, how far was it from the hotel? Um, An hour, hour hour and a half or something. So they, Nick Elizabeth got married up in the mountains in, uh, in actually that was South Carolina, right? It was closer to closer to Greenville actually. Yeah. Just this absolutely incredible view up in the mountains. And so we know we have to take a charter. They bring in the charter buses and then Lynette comes out (laughs) of the bus. Like, I think she had an aura around her. I think she had angel wings and she she was just shining. We saw her for the first time in two years. And like, I I will never, that was such an awesome moment. She's the best driver, best bus driver we've had. Yeah. We need to take a moment to shout out Lynette. She drove the bus for us with the tourists. And then when we were getting ready to get married, Elizabeth and her mom were planning a lot of the stuff and they were going to get a bus to take people, the wedding party and guests up to the chapel. And they were using young transportation. <laughs> and as soon as I saw, I saw a young transportation, I was like, we got to get Lynette. 
Sure enough, we got Lynette. She had my Asheville jersey on when she drove us. Man, that was an incredible surprise. Incredible. That was awesome. Golly. Okay, so as we're coming to an end, let's fire off some just some quick questions, some fun ones. Um, let's start off. What are the top three places you played at in Pro Bowl? Or maybe, I guess, what are your top three cities that we've either visited or played at in Pro Bowl? Okay, clear number one is Vancouver. Okay, one. No doubt about that. That's not very debatable. Um, you know what? Is it? Does it have to be cities we played in, or just no, no? We like that's why I said that we and cities we visited along the way. Okay, that might change my answer then, because and this is going to be an Eastern League sweep if Mm -hmm. we do this. Yeah. Because we this year we were in Hartford and we had off day every Monday, so we were able to on that off day go to New York or go to Boston. We went to DC because it was on the way to Bowie, which is one of the teams in that league. So this year, this past season, I'm going to say number one is New York City. I wow. went there. Elizabeth, Elizabeth and I went there on an off day. and He's sucking up because she's in the room. <laughs> it was so dreamy. <laughs> no, New York City is just the best. I, I, just, I love it there. Um, I might put Boston at number two. Yeah. We had a great day in Boston. We had a great time in Boston. We um, had a little triple date action. A little triple date with Reagan, Todd, and Kylie. Um, Shout out Anna as well. And Anna, of course. But, um, and then I'll, I'll say Vancouver, number three. Washington, D.C. was close. We also had a great day in D.C. We just got to see some really cool places in the Eastern League. That was cool about being in the Northeast is all those places are pretty close to each other. So uh, you really got to see some super cool cities. I got to redo my list. My, I panicked on my first list and included San Jose. No offense. San Jose? Yeah. Are you well, serious? Because I was... I wasn't thinking is when we went to San Francisco on the way home from San Jose. So number one for me is still Vancouver. Vancouver was phenomenal. Number two was DC. Number three has to be the Jersey shore for me. What? Yes. Lakeview. That was going to the Jersey Lakewood, Lakewood, but we got to go to the Jersey shore. That was a great day. That's number three. I think so. Nate just like snooky that one. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually never seen Jersey shore. We ended up making it into the house. We didn't know that you had to like go through this store to like go to the uh, to be able to tour the house. We kind of just walked up to the front door I'm, and it was open. I am appalled that you're putting that everything. That was a great Don't day. About Charleston. Oh, Charleston's got to be in the conversation. You're not putting Boston in there. Well, I was honestly for the content wise, I was trying to change it up from you. Okay. Okay. Actually, okay. Hold on. Number three out of there. Charleston is number three, and I think that's actually a true number three. Charleston. What not Charleston, West Virginia, Charleston, South Carolina is phenomenal. I mean, they had those, uh, what are they like the street markets, like a yeah, farmer's market type I don't deal? Know what you'd call that, but it was super cool. I bought some knockoff $15 Ray Bands that were phenomenal. Yeah, you still wear those, you try to pawn them off like they're the real thing. Yeah, they don't sell as well. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, those are some great, those are some great uh places we played. What is pro okay? So now let's go to let's go favorite visiting field you played at. So not just visit, just just the best field we've played at on the road. Best field we've played at on the road. Without a doubt, the best field we've played at total is Dunkin' Donuts Park. That's yep. not even debatable. Yeah. Um, Home of the Hartford Yard Goats. That, I mean, they're voted the best double-A field like five years in a row. Awesome park. Best field we've played at on the road. Let me think. I think I got that. mine. Um, I'm, I'm thinking back to the Sally. Oh, I think we have the same one. Um, I think I'm going to go with the one and only Greenville. Greenville yes, Greenville. <laughs> yes. That's where the Boston Red Sox low A team plays. And they have basically, uh, they have a 
mini Fenway. A I mini guess. Fenway. Yeah, they got the green monster there. Uh, us pitchers do as best as we can to give up a bomb over the other green monster. Yeah, that's always Wait, a fun time. But you didn't do that? Oh. Uh, well, I did. Actually. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. we both did that. <laughs> you and I. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's. Not that was that. one of the best parks we've been to. The old the Fenway and the whole like the whole area was super cool. It was a clean park. Yes. That was a great one. There was a couple of good ones in that league. Columbia, the Fireflies is a pretty nice. That was park. a good one. That was man. That's a hot league. That is, you yeah. burn up there. Rome, Columbia, Rome, Georgia. Um, you know what? Uh, sleeper pick is, and I don't know that I put this in the best conversation, but I truly love McCormick Field. It was Asheville. It's got a feel. Yes. It's got a feel to it. So for for you baseball fans out there listening, I guess you wouldn't be listening to this if you're a baseball fan. If you've seen the movie, oh man, oh Bull Durham. If you've seen Bull Durham, the field where he hits his like, gosh, why am I blanking on the the, the story of Bull Durham? Anyway, anyway, they filmed the final scene in Asheville at McCormick Field. So if you're going back and watch that, that's where we got to play for a whole summer. Yeah, just a cool. It just has an atmosphere, you know. It's a field that's been there for forever. They get a lot of fans. It's just got a. It's just got a little feel to it. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Well, this this was really fun, and so I, my goal with this podcast is for Nick and I to be host and co-host and kind of bring guys in every week and just kind of get their stories and we could all talk shop. If you like that idea, let us know and, and give us some ideas on how we can go about this because I'd like to put a weekly podcast out for spring training and we can, we can talk about spring training. We could ask, uh, we can answer your guys' questions if you have any with them, but um, let us know what you think, because I think Nick, uh, I think you did a pretty good job today. I say we do a little Q and a let's have, let's put question or they can submit questions and we'll yeah. just sit here and talk shop for sure. Well, Nick, we appreciate, we, we enjoyed having you on and uh, hope you enjoyed it as well. When you say we, do you mean you and somebody else? Or... Me, myself and I, it's yeah. a three person. Okay. Type deal. I understand. Yeah. No, me and the bullpen talk listers. That's, that's, <laughs> yes, who, that's who's here. Shout out to the guests. Thanks for having me on, man. It was fun. All right, man. We'll see you. All right. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Bullpen Talk. That was a lot of fun getting these uh, these spring training podcasts going. We got so many teams and so many guys out here that we're really looking to have some really cool guests on. And I plan on having Nick having being my uh, my co-host for this. So hopefully we can get around, get some more guys, talk some shop. And, and like we always say, get connected with us on social media. Let us know what you guys want us to talk about, because we have we have so many stories and, and so many different upbrings for how we got into professional baseball and and just a lot of different ways of life we got a lot of content out of the guys that we know out here so let us know what you want us to talk about give us some ideas get connected with us um that way we can make sure that we're giving you guys the best content that we could possibly give so we want to thank nick again for joining us today it was it was a blast getting to know his story and um yeah start becoming a fan of him get connected with him and and start looking him up and follow his career so we appreciate you guys again thank you for being patient with me as we've been kind of in and out of these podcasts and and get them out on a consistent basis with camp starting up i plan on getting one out a week and uh yeah just looking forward to it so we appreciate you guys again thanks